0: Amen. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 1 says, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. Hezekiah was a a great king of of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and He uh, was one of the greatest revivalists that the nation of Israel had ever seen. In fact, some even say that Hezekiah was the greatest revivalist of all history, just an amazing leader. And he is seeking to bring the people of God back to true worship, to Jehovah. And so he invites people to come participate in their annual festival, the Passover. Verse two says, for the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. Touch your neighbor and say in the second month. That's significant. Verse six, skipping down. So the post, the the, the uh, mail carriers, if you will, the runners went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah. And according to the commandment, of the king, saying, You children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. Verse 10, skipping down a little bit. So the posts they passed from city to city, throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn, and they mocked them. They mocked them. Verse 11 says, nevertheless, diverse of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and they came to Jerusalem. Because there's always a remnant of people, even in the face of some that will resist the invitation, there's always a remnant that wants to come home. And I just want to preach, again, as I said, carrying in the vein of thought from last weekend, it's never too late to come home, part two. And I wonder if you would join me in prayer. Jesus, I pray that you would have your way in the moments that we have here together. Jesus, I pray that your word would go forth to wherever you see fit, to wherever you are working, God. I pray that you would bring a word of challenge and encouragement. God, I pray that you would begin the work of your spirit that draws men and women closer to the cross, closer to your kingdom and to your side again. Lord, get me out of the way and and get us out of the way so that your spirit can move freely in a direct and personal way. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Give you all the glory and all the praise. So let me just declare he's worthy today. Jesus, you are worthy. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to share with you today a unique passage that just about a week and a half ago I came across in my daily Bible reading from the book of Numbers chapter 9. And we join the story of Israel Almost one year after their miraculous departure from Egypt. A very significant anniversary is just on the horizon. One year out of slavery, out of Egypt. The night that they left Egypt, the night of the Exodus, will not soon leave their memory. It was Passover night. In the Hebrew, the word is Pesach, and it means to pass or to skip over. Passover, right? Makes sense? or it also means to spare. It was the night that the death angel saw the blood on the lintel and the doorposts of Israelite homes in Goshen, and judgment passed over them, and they were spared. And so you fast forward a, a year down the road, and they've come out of Egypt. They, they have passed through the waters of the Red Sea. They're now in the wilderness. They're following God's leading by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. And you pick up the story in Numbers chapter 9, verse 1. This is the New Living Translation. It says, a year after Israel's departure from Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. In the first month of that year, he said, tell the Israelites to celebrate the Passover at the prescribed time.'" Do it at twilight on the 14th day of the first month, and be sure to follow all of my decrees, every regulation concerning this celebration. God was very detailed in the law given to Moses, how they were supposed to celebrate the Passover. They were to take that spotless one-year-old lamb and bring it into their homes, and and they were to slaughter that lamb and, and eat it as a meal together as a family. If there was too much for just them, they were to share it with their neighbors, and they were to get all the leaven out of their homes and to eat bitter greens and all, all of that kind of stuff. Very specific. And so Moses told the people to celebrate the Passover, passing along God's reminder. Hey, it's, it's the anniversary. It's coming up really soon. Be ready to celebrate. Verse 5, in the wilderness of Sinai, as twilight, twilight fell on the 14th day of that first month of the year, and they celebrated the festival there just as the Lord had commanded Moses. I want you to understand today that this Passover celebration was very significant to Israel. You've got to understand this was not like most average holidays that we would celebrate on our calendar. Like, I don't know, pick one. National Pancake Day or something. This this is far more significant than that. Although, Pancake Day is great too. The night that they left Egypt behind was incredibly significant to God's people. It's interesting because Israel literally oriented their calendar around this first Passover, this original event. God told them specifically in Exodus 12 verse 2 that this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. It's interesting to me because... The Israelites, along with everybody else at that point, were about halfway through the regular calendar. But God said, oh no, we're going to change things up and we're reorienting your calendar. It's all going to be based on this moment in time in your existence and in your lives. And I would just like to say today that the day a person leaves Egypt... It is the beginning of a new season in their lives. And, and every other moment from that moment forward is oriented around the moment that you come out of this world and, and you leave the systems of this world and the patterns and the mindsets of this world behind. And you begin walking toward God into his promise. There is a moment in your life that you'll never forget. It's the day you leave Egypt and it's the beginning of the rest of your life. Symbolically, this first Passover, it, of course, it points to repentance, in the new birth experience, for the believer. Repentance, leaving the world behind, and seeking to pursue God's will for your life, not just feeling sorry or feeling bad, but, but feeling enough internal desire to make a change. It's an inward change of attitude that leads to an outward change of behavior. That's repentance, and that's the Passover moment. It's leaving Egypt. The passage that the Israelites would take through the waters of the Red Sea, of course, that points to baptism, and New Testament writers would also uh, point to that uh, symbol. The pillar of cloud and fire in the wilderness points to spirit baptism. And so here in this story of the Israelites, their exodus story, it's the new birth in symbol, in type, and in shadow. But every year after that initial Passover, very specifically, God asked them to commemorate the exodus by having Passover celebrations, not just on any old day, but the exact same day, the 14th day, the evening of the 14th day of that first month in the Hebrew calendar, the month Nisan. Passover was a time of cleansing. For the week leading up to it, the the Jews, they would cleanse their homes of all leaven, all yeast. They would sweep it. They would rid their homes of it, get it out. It was a time of cleansing. Yeast, of course, is symbolic of sin, And so the Passover is a time that, that they could, in a symbol, in a sense, they could rid their lives and cleanse their lives of everything that was unlike God. That's what it represented. The Passover was a time of returning because literally the Jews would make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem and to the temple to celebrate this festival. And so it was a time of cleansing. It was a time of returning. And it was a time for the Israelites to remember To remember what god had done for them how he had brought them out of egypt with a miraculous demonstration cleansing returning remembering exodus 12 25 god said when you enter the land that the lord has promised to give you you will continue to observe this ceremony And then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. And so here we are, we're in Numbers chapter 9. We're camped in the wilderness of Sinai. The law has been given. and, And it's the first opportunity for commemoration of this amazing event just one year later. But after God's reminder to Moses at the beginning of the chapter, you read on and you find that there's a group of people that wanted to participate in the Passover, but they weren't able to. Verse 6 of Numbers 9 says, but some of the men had been ceremonially defiled by touching a dead body, so they could not celebrate the Passover that day. They came to Moses and Aaron that day, and they said, we have become ceremonially unclean by touching a dead body, but why should we be prevented from presenting the Lord's offering at the proper time with the rest of the Israelites? In essence, they were saying, we don't want to miss out on the celebration. We don't want to miss out on what God is doing among his people. And so Moses does what any good leader should do. He says, well, let me pray about it. And he goes to God and he says, wait here until I've received instructions for you from the Lord. And this was the Lord's reply to Moses. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Watch closely now. If any of the people now or in future generations are ceremonially unclean at Passover time, because of touching a dead body, like was the case for this group of men, this group of individuals, or, and God goes further, if they are on a journey and cannot be present at the ceremony, at Passover in the first month, they may still celebrate the Lord's Passover. Verse 11, they must offer the Passover sacrifice one month later, at twilight on the 14th day, but of the second month, They must eat the Passover lamb at that time with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. And they must not leave any of the lamb until the next morning. And they must not break any of its bones, the exact same stipulations for the regular Passover. And they must follow all the normal regulations concerning the Passover. What I see in this passage is a group of people that wanted to participate in the celebration of the Passover with the rest of the people of God. But they were not able to because the law deemed them to be unclean. They'd been in, in contact with a dead body and, and because of it, they missed the opportunity to take part. They had been defiled by deadness, but they had a desire to come and be a part. They knew what the law said. Numbers 19.11 says, he that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean for seven days. Unclean people had no right to take part in the Passover. This group knew that they were disqualified from the celebration because they'd been in contact with deadness. They'd fallen short of God's perfect standard for their lives. The law said that they had no right and they had no place, but they approached Moses and expressed desire. Hey Moses, we've missed our moment, but is there still an opportunity for us to get involved. We want to take part in these moments of cleansing and these moments of returning and remembering. We don't want our defilement to prevent us from drawing close to God and the community of God's people. It's like they were waving their hands and saying, hey Moses, what about us? What about us? And so in response to all of this, God does something absolutely amazing. It, it you know i was reading this and i've read this passage many times but for whatever reason it leapt off the page on this particular day the fact that god on the spot created a whole new jewish feast day just added a little footnote in the law just amended what he had already given to moses on the mountaintop yeah sure another passover no problem And it wasn't just a one-time provision, but this provision of a second Passover. In Hebrew, Pesach Sheni, second Passover. It is still observed year after year to this day. To be held exactly one month later, on the 14th of the second month, Iyar. For all of those who were unclean and wandering. And what is revealed in this narrative is a glimpse into the nature of the God that we serve. He is a God of second chances. He is a God of extended opportunities. He is a God of abundant mercy. If you come to him with whatever state your life may be in, whatever state of defilement, whatever distance the wandering might be, he is a God that will meet you with mercy. I'd like to lift just a few principles out of this passage for your, for your hearing today, and I pray that they will speak to you and minister to you. The first thing that I recognize in the passage is that desire will always make a way. Desire will always make a way. I don't know how you feel about it, but I've come to realize that God can do little to nothing with a person that is apathetic, a person that is complacent and indifferent to the things of God. It is hard for God to move them to a new place or into a new season. It's difficult for God to do, dare I say, impossible. Jesus talked about apathy. He said in Matthew 24, 12 that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There would be this coldness, this indifference in the last days. It's a sign of his coming. He spoke to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And, of course, Laodicea was a lukewarm church. They were an apathetic church, and they were repulsive to God. He said, because you're not hot or cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's how he felt about it. You see, the thing about lukewarmness is in order to get lukewarm, you don't have to do anything. Lukewarmness is just when you take on the attributes of the environment around you. It takes energy. It takes effort to make something hot. If you're making a cup of coffee, there's electricity involved. There's a burner. There's an element involved to heat the water and to make a percolator pot of coffee. There's nothing better than Tim Hortons. Just wanted to throw that in there. Praise God. But it takes energy. It takes effort to make something cold. It takes the same energy, effort. There's a refrigeration process involved. There's a condenser. There's Freon. There's electricity. And and all of that energy expended allows that drink to become cold. One end of the spectrum or the other, there's energy exerted, but in the middle, there's nothing. It's just apathy. It's just indifference. I'm going to take on the temperature and acclimate to the environment around me. And Jesus said to that church in Laodicea, I'm repulsed by that. That's disgusting to me. I will spew you from my mouth. But what I've come also to learn is that desire If you can go to the other end from apathy and if you can get involved with desire, God can work with anybody that has a hunger in their life. You see, Jesus can take somebody that maybe is just one degree off course, but if they don't care and if they're apathetic about it, it's hard to move them even one degree. But Jesus can also take somebody bound in the worst mess of sin, in the lowest state of their lives, far away from God. And if there's desire and if there is hunger, God can move mountains for you. And God can make provisions for you to make your way back home. There's something about desire, Desire Desire will always make a wave. We read in Numbers 9 how this provision in the law came uniquely from the rest of the law. Most came to Moses from the hand of God directly on the top of Mount Sinai. But there was no provision for a second Passover. But God added an amendment to the law because of this group of people's desire to participate. They were hungry to be involved and God said, Absolutely, I'll do whatever necessary to get you in the mix desire so we say desire i'm reminded of the Syrophoenician woman in matthew 15 who likewise desired something from the master she wanted a miracle from jesus for her demon possessed daughter but she was a gentile she was outside of god's covenant people And so she approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, please heal my daughter. She is vexed with a demon, and and I need your help, Jesus. And Jesus was quiet. She continues to ask, and the disciples say, Jesus, can we send this woman away? And and she keeps on asking, and Jesus finally, he says, it is not me that I cast the children's bread to the dogs. I'm not going to do this miracle today, because I'm I'm here for the people of God. I'm here for the Jews, for the Israelites. That's who I've come at this point in time to minister to. And you're a Gentile. You're outside of the covenant. I'm not going to do this right now. But she persisted. And she said, truth, Lord, but even the dogs are able to eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, I've never seen faith like this. And, and the law said that she was unworthy to partake. But Jesus said, I'm gonna going to give you your miracle anyway. And he reached out from the dispensation of the law and he reached around the cross of Calvary into the dispensation of grace. He pulled that miracle back and he gave it to a Gentile lady because that lady had desire for a miracle in her life. It would be about another decade before Another miracle like this or another manifestation of God's miraculous power would touch the Gentile people in our world. It was Acts chapter 10, the household of Cornelius. But what made the difference on the, the, on the, the, the pre-side of the cross and Calvary, the dispensation of the law was desire. It was the hunger of this woman. It was not her worthiness that made a way. It was not her merit that made a way. It was not her heritage that made a way, but it was her desire. Desire always makes a way. Numbers 9 verse 10. This is the instructions that God is giving to this group of people. He said, if any of the people now or in the future generations are like this group and they're ceremonially unclean at Passover time because of touching a dead body, or if they are on a journey and cannot be present at the ceremony, if they are on a journey and cannot be present at the ceremony, they may still celebrate the Lord's Passover. The second thing that I learned from this passage is that mercy always goes beyond our need. You can see clearly the mess that this group of people was in They were defiled because they touched deadness and they asked for a provision to cover this issue. But then God steps in and he exceeds their need and also makes provision for others that may come in the future that are, quote, on a journey and are far away during the time of the Passover. They didn't ask Moses for that. They didn't entreat the Lord for that provision but God exceeded their request with abundant mercy their defilement only went so far up to here but God responded with grace that they weren't asking for that they weren't expecting and went above their need he said I see you're asking for this forgiveness for this amount of mercy but I want to pour it on because mercy goes always beyond our need Romans 5 and 20, Paul said, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. When sin was up to here, grace exceeded it and went beyond. I've come to remind somebody today that you will never be able to exhaust the mercy and the grace of God in your life. That God is always willing to go beyond your shortcomings with a double portion of mercy. Don't think that that what you have done and where you have gone is going to somehow exceed the stock and supply of God's grace. But he is able to to uh, meet all of your need according to his riches in glory. He's abundantly able today. Mercy always goes beyond our need. He's not just the God of enough. He's the God of more than enough. He's not just the God of greatness, but he's the God of exceeding greatness. That's just the God that we serve today. In the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word for mercy. It's rashamim, rashamim. And oftentimes... It is, of course, translated as mercy singular. However, it's not the most accurate translation of the word in your Bible. Because just like when we want to pluralize a word, we would throw the letter S on the end of most words. In the Hebrew, if you want to pluralize a word, it's, it's suffix, the ending is I-M, im. And so on the end of Rashamim, you have this suffix, and it makes the word a plural word. And because it's plural... Rashamim doesn't mean mercy. Rashamim means mercies. It means that God's mercy is more than mercy. God's mercy is so great, so strong, so deep, so far-reaching that it can't just be contained in a singular word, but Rashamim means that his mercy has no end. And the prophet was right when he said in Jeremiah 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies, plural, that we are not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning because there's no exhausting the mercies of God. It will always go beyond what we ask. It will always go beyond what we do with a double portion of God's abundant grace and mercy in our lives. And so when you fail God for the umpteenth time and when you fall so far and and you think you've exhausted his forgiveness, I would encourage you to pause for a moment and think again because here comes more of God's mercies in your life. There's no defilement too strong. There's no wandering too far that, that, that his mercy can't reach into your life. Mercy always goes beyond our need. And finally, Numbers 9, 11 through 12. The Bible says they must offer the Passover sacrifice one month later at the twilight on the 14th day of the second month. But even though it's the second month and it's a different date, he said, I want you to do it just the same. They must eat the Passover lamb at the time with, with bitter salad greens, bread made without yeast. Very familiar, you know, or very similar, exactly the same to the regular Passover. They must not leave any of the lamb until the next morning. Don't break any of its bones. And this last statement, they must follow all of the normal regulations concerning the Passover. The last thing that I want to share today from this passage of scripture is the fact that second Passover does not make you second rate. Second Passover wasn't a less than celebration. According to the passage, it was, again, to be done exactly the same as it was during the first Passover. And it seems to me that God was saying, it doesn't matter if you missed the first opportunity. It doesn't matter if you missed the ideal time frame to celebrate the goodness of God, the cleansing touch of God, the the remembrance, the returning. It doesn't matter if you didn't do it in the appropriate time frame, so to speak. You're not a subordinate saint if you take part in God's extended provision of mercy. Second Passover does not make you second rate. And I know I visited this story last weekend, but I would just like to bring it to our attention again today because when I read about the second Passover in Numbers chapter 9, my mind immediately goes to the prodigal son who, of course, wandered and Jesus said, took his journey into a far country. And I wonder, you know, this is how my mind works. When Jesus is recounting and telling the story of the prodigal son to the crowd that day and when he makes the statement that he took a journey to a far country. My mind wonders if Jesus was brought back to that festival, the second Passover, Pesach Shania, and its provision for all those that would wander and not be present at the time of the first. And so the prodigal son, he eventually comes home after coming to himself, the Bible says. He's in the pig slop. He realizes that he's in a, a messed up state but he has a moment of awakening and he said, there's bread enough to spare in my father's house. There's enough provision where I came from and he hopes to find mercy with his father again. And so he starts on the journey home and he had it in his mind that he would not be worthy to be considered a son anymore. And he determined that he would be lucky just to be considered a slave, a hired servant for his father. But when he gets back near his father's house, the father doesn't make him a slave, but the father restores him as a son. The father said, Hey, you're not subordinate. You're my son. You're not second rate because you've been gone a little while. You're my son. You're not less than because you've wandered and because you've been defiled by the dead things in the world. No, you're not a less than, you are my son. And just because a person had to take advantage of the second Passover in Jewish tradition, it did not mean that they were second rate in the eyes of God. And I would say today that just because you may have to take advantage of an extended provision of God's mercy, maybe you feel like you've had to take advantage of more mercy than anybody else that you know, I've come to remind you today that second Passover doesn't mean second rate. Extra mercy in your life doesn't make you a subordinate saint of God but God wants to restore you to your rightful position as a son or a daughter of the most high God God said, Moses, you make sure that they carry out that second Passover exactly the same as the first. I don't care if you come late to the party. You aren't any less of a Christian than those of us that have been here a long time. Because the truth is, we've all needed mercy. Maybe some have needed more than others, but we're all children of God. We're all in this together. We're all a part of his family. In Matthew 20, we read the parable of the 11th hour laborers, and the manager of the vineyard goes out looking for workers at the first hour of the day, at 6 a.m., and he finds some in the marketplace, and he sends them to go to work. Realizing he needs more, he goes out again at the third hour of the day, nine in the morning, finds some more, sends them to work, the the sixth hour, and and the ninth hour, and then finally at the 11th hour, one hour before Quentin time, he goes to the marketplace, and he finds workers to send into his vineyard. Maybe you know the story, how the end of the day comes. People had worked, some of them, 12 hours that day. Others had worked one and everywhere in between. But when it comes time to receive their wages at the end of their shift, the master, he he gives out the pay first to the one that had worked the most. And then he starts going down the line and everybody realizes that they made the same thing as each other. Nobody had a different pay. And I'm sure some were a little bit upset and irate. But it's a principle. You ask the question, Why? Why would those that worked harder and worked longer not receive a greater compensation? The reason is because it doesn't matter when you come and join the master in his field. Your reward is not less than those that have been here a long time. Those that come to the party late aren't considered less than or secondary by the master. I'm grateful for every elder in the church of the living God. I'm grateful for every saint that's been here a long time. But we must remember that there's no such thing as seniority in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as seniority in the church of the living God. And people that need to take advantage of God's extended provision of mercy and celebrate the second Passover, they are no less valuable to God. Music, if you would come and join me. I'm wrapping up this morning. Desire will always make a way. Desire will always make a way. God will always go beyond our point of need with mercy. Second Passover doesn't mean second rate. I recognize today that there's a lot of wanderers out there. And I've come with a message of hope for every wanderer that has pondered the question, should I make my way back home? For every person that has felt that tug of God in your spirit saying, I want to, I, I desire to, but what will it be like when I go home? Will I be second class? Will I be second rate? Will I just be a servant? I've come to tell you that You can calm those concerns because the master the father is saying come home I've come to tell you maybe you missed first Passover maybe you feel like you missed the ideal window or the ideal opportunity that's all right there's a second Passover it's never too late to come home there's still a provision of mercy for you today 2nd Peter 3 and 9 says The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to us, word. He's patient. He'll extend the window. And he has. And he's waiting. And there's the opportunity. He's long-suffering to us Word. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to that moment, to that place of repentance. Yes, to the sinner that has never known him, but also to the wanderer that has left the Father's house and feels that pull to come back. Come on. God is reaching for us today. God is reaching for you. There's mercy available. I want to tell everybody you can celebrate spiritual Passover today I want to tell you today that you don't have to feel the weight of judgment but you can be spared just like it was in Exodus chapter 12 when that death angel and judgment passed over their homes and passed over their families you can be spared of judgment today there's an opportunity to be cleansed and to return and to remember God's faithfulness and power because there's a second Passover my last passage It's what we opened with today. There were likely many that took advantage of the second Passover throughout the period of biblical history. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, under the leadership of Hezekiah, the entire nation took advantage of the second Passover. As far as I'm aware in study, I don't know of any other place in scripture certainly where the entire nation did this as I've already said the Passover celebration it involved a pilgrimage to Jerusalem a literal return to the temple and to that epicenter of worship and tradition and so 2nd Chronicles 30 verse 1 again Hezekiah the king of Judah he sent to all of Israel and to Judah he wrote letters and sent them to Ephraim and to Manasseh that they should come home Come back to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. It's never too late. Come back to keep the Passover unto the Lord, the God of Israel, for the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover. Again, it was done in the second month. This is not the month of Nisan in the Hebrew calendar. It's the second month of Iyar on the eve of the 14th day. He's preparing, he's planning, but it's second Passover. Verse 3, for they could not keep it at that time, in the first month, because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. Neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. They had tried to get things in order in time for the first month, but despite their best efforts, they missed their moment, they missed their window, couldn't get things prepared in time for Pesach. And so as a nation, they utilized the provision for Pesach Shani, the second Passover. But here's what I love about this passage. And this is what I want to leave you with today. They didn't allow it to be only for a select few in Judah. The ones that really had never split off and splintered into the northern kingdom. It wasn't the will of the king for it to just be for us four and no more. But the king wanted as many people to join in on the celebration as possible. Because no doubt when Hezekiah made the choice to celebrate the second Passover in the second month, he would have been reminded who that merciful provision was intended for in the first place. It was intended for wanderers. It was intended for those defiled by deadness. At this time, the nation was split into two main segments, Judah in the south and the kingdom of Israel in the north, a pagan branch of Israel. They really had no good kings in the northern part. Hezekiah is leading this revival in the south, but he didn't want it to only be celebrated by those close by. And so he sent messengers to the backslidden northern kingdom who had wandered away and split off from the community of Israel because Hezekiah had this thought that this is just too good not to share with my brothers that have wandered. This is just too incredible and too amazing to keep it to ourselves. And so I'm going to write letters and I'm going to send runners and and i'm going to get people to go into the highways and into the hedges and to compel them to come back to the temple so he sent invitation to his backslidden brothers and verse six says new living this time at the king's command, runners were sent throughout all of Israel and Judah. They carried letters and they said, O people of Israel, return to the Lord. Return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel so that he will return to the few of us that have survived the conquest of the Assyrian kings. Verse 10. And so the runners went from town to town throughout Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but most of the people, they just laughed at the runners and they made fun of them. Yes, there will be derision sometimes. Yes, there will be rejection sometimes. But if you're not willing to face some of that, you'll never find the people from verse 11. However, some people from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun, they humbled themselves and they returned because there's always a remnant. There's always a group that is feeling that drawing that is wanting to come, but all it takes is somebody from the homeland, somebody from Judah, somebody that never wandered away to to send an invitation to them and say, come home. It's never too late to come home. There's a provision for mercy. There's a second Passover. The window is still open. You can still be a part. Everyone that's wandered and everyone that's been defiled by the sin and the stains of this world, it's available for you today. Our job, if I could speak to the church for a moment, at the end of time itself, is to go out with a message to all of those that are wandering, to all of the backsliders and the wanderers in our city and sphere. There's a message of hope for them. If you are in that state today, there's a message of hope for you, a message of restoration. There's still an opportunity to come home and to be restored. It's never too late, never too late to come home. I'll leave you with just two more verses. And I want to pray over you. If you would just, just watch this verse. This is amazing to me. Verse 25, it says that the entire assembly of Judah, they rejoiced. The second Passover is in full swing. And watch who showed up. The Bible says that the priests and the Levites were there. I would say that's the leadership, that's ministry, that's what that represents. All who came from the land of Israel were there the northern kingdom, the wanderers, the backsliders, the ones that came home, they are there. But also, the Bible says that the foreigners who came to the festival. I just come to declare today that I believe that God has a revival of wanderers and backsliders in this last days, that God is drawing people that have fell away from faith and and he's reaching for them. But when God begins to work in that arena, if you will, God has also a work to do in those that have never experienced the presence of God in the Father's house. The Bible says that foreigners came to the festival as well. I've come to tell you that there's a great harvest of new converts that are going to come into the church when when his people get concerned about those that are wandering, that when we get concerned about those and reach out to those that are defiled, God will bring a revival. And also the ones that were there were all those who lived in Judah, the faithful, the ones that never left. You've got the wanderers, the backsliders, you've got the new converts, you've got the faithful people of God all coming together. And verse 26 says that there was great joy in the city, for Jerusalem had not seen a celebration like this one since the days of Solomon, King David's son. And I would just like to say as we come in for a conclusion and a close today that there is a great day of glory that is ahead of the church of Jesus Christ. I've come to declare that the, the glory days are not just behind us. You see, the days of Solomon, those were the greatest days that Israel had ever seen. But the Bible says here in 2 Chronicles 30 verse 26 that this celebration, the second Passover it was like what it was in the days of Solomon it was the glory days all over again and then some let me declare in the atmosphere today that there is a revival of prodigals that is taking place around our world and when that happens others from the outside will look on and they will join in on the glory and his glory will fill this house again I wonder wherever you are today We're going to sing here in a moment. And we're going to allow the presence of God to minister and touch in every life. But I wonder if you could just join wherever you are. If you're with your family, join together with your family. If you're alone, just go ahead and, and enter into the presence of God here. And if you could just pray a prophetic prayer over every wanderer in our city, over every wanderer in our nation, over every wanderer in our world, God is going to restore. There's a window of mercy available in the second... Passover oh Jesus God right now we turn our attention not just to you God not just to those that are those that have never been apart Of what you're doing in the kingdom of God. But Jesus, in this moment, in the Spirit, we turn our attention and we turn our minds once again to every wandering child of God, to every prodigal that has left the Father's house and feels as though they've squandered their inheritance of your blessings in their lives. Let them know today that there is mercy available. Let them know today that they are not second rate or or second class, but you want to restore them to position as your child in the kingdom today god i pray in this moment that you would do what i cannot lord jesus that you would do what we as a church family and as believers cannot do in our own selves but lord i pray that you would hear our cry and respond to our prayer jesus and i pray that you would begin to to draw men draw women back to the foot of the cross Lord Jesus, no man can come to the Father except that Spirit draw him. And so, Lord, do that work this morning. Do that work in every wandering soul. God, do that work in every every defiled life. God, I pray that there would be an ingathering of souls, an ingathering and a revival in this last day. Jesus, we declare it to be so. We stand upon your word. We stand upon your promise. Lord, let your will be done and let your kingdom come in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I wonder wherever you are, if you would join us in singing this chorus today, there's nothing to...